We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Third and goal, Taylor Trolley, end zone, caught! Sammy Watkins for the Buffalo touchdown! If I'm going deep, just, just throw it out there, just throw it as far as you can. Either I'm going to catch it, or knock the ball down, um, and that's a 50-50, so that's what we've been doing. First and 10, Taylor's going to sling it, take a chance, goes right down the field, he's got Watkins on the home run ball! Here, third and 10, hit under the pressure, he's got Watkins, makes the catch inside Houston 40-yard line as he goes right at Jonathan Joseph, 52 yards as they move the chains. Second and seven from the 40. Taylor from the gun again, has time, delivers down the field, he's got Clay wide open, into the end zone for the Buffalo touchdown! Hey everybody, welcome to this week's edition of the Rockpile Report. That there was our boy Spiro Didis from CBS Sports and Sammy Watkins from his interview at buffalobills.com. You heard Sammy talk about it. Tyrod and Sammy finally seem to be developing some trust in each other. I mean, you heard it come from his mouth, and you saw it on the field. And then that last touchdown there, that was the product of a bad, bad defensive breakdown in which a safety out there in the NFL actually believed that Matthew Mulligan was more of a threat to catch the go-ahead touchdown pass than Charles Clay was. <laughs> Somebody cover 82. Get on 82. <laughs> God help you. If it, maybe it was more of an embarrassment thing. Like, hey, if 82 scores this, I know I'm going to get cut. So I better not let that happen. Now, in all reality, what I saw sitting there in the stands of the game was a linebacker who I think he thought the play called for a blitz because he dropped down towards the line and allowed Charles Clay to come up uncovered through the seam. And when the safety picked his man, I think he thought the linebacker would be in place. And instead, nobody was there. And he was wide open for that touchdown. What a game. What a game. What an ending. It was, an ex- it was exciting from start to finish. You know, we... Traded scores with them the entire time, and the Bills managed to hang on late and beat the Texans. And now we're sitting at 6-6. Six and six. Let's take a look at the game recap. First off, let's talk about the stadium, game day atmosphere. Sunday was one of the first truly cold games of the season. I mean, it, wasn't, it wasn't friendly there when we got there at about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. It was not, it was not nice. The frost was thick. Everyone was freezing. The beer helped with that, but Jesus. And I mean, that's probably what drove that one guy in the stands to Snapchat himself getting a handy in the stands. Listen, why don't we go in the back and shack? What? I've been frozen for 30 years. I've got to see if my bits and pieces are still working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, baby. Yeah. And yet for as cold as it was, it wasn't enough to stop another drunk couple from just dropping down and shagging right there in the parking lot. I saw two big fat naked bikers in the woods off 17 having sex. How am I supposed to chip with that going on? What the hell, guys? What, <laughs> I, like, I like a lot of good old-fashioned debauchery as much as the next guy. But what the hell? 
We have now successfully given Deadspin so much to talk about that they've actually opened up their own subdivision for us, now referred to as Bill Spin. You know, I enjoyed reading those stories about the guy getting the hand job and the guys and the people banging in the parking lot because I was kind of getting sick and tired of people being put through tables at our tailgates. Like, mix it up, you know. Do some coke. <laughs> mix have, the classlessness up a little bit, Buffalo. Some, Come on now. Do some coke. Have some sex. Get a hand job. You know. Oh. Way to class it up, Buffalo. Round of applause. I'm, I'm proud of you. But, I mean, in other news, it was cold, but the weather was good. There was no precipitation. You know, I got my picture posted on the Buffalo News' website rocking my awesome Buffalo Bills ear flap hat. You know, I, I, I've now made a mental note that if I'm going to be drinking and anyone comes up and offers to take a picture of me for a publication, I have to try to not grin like I've been drinking for hours. Because at that point, when people see it, they're going to know that you've been drinking for hours. Got a little wind burning the lips, but otherwise, awesome game. Had a lot of fun. The stadium wasn't as loud as I would have liked, though. At one point, I actually got yelled at by a security guard for being too loud. I turned around and questioned everyone sitting around me in the rock pile. I was yelling, I can't hear any of you. And the guy yelled from about nine rows back, yeah, well, I can hear you, so shut up. And (laughs) that's the security guard. But in any event, we won, and that's all that really matters. And a lot of it was because of Tyrod Taylor. His stat line won't blow you away. It's not like he put up any gaudy statistics, but he, the eye test, he passed it with flying colors. See, I like the uh, the tightrope he did on his uh, rushing touchdown, the second one in the game. He just tightrope that sideline and uh, dove for the pylon. It was amazing athleticism by Tyrod. Well, he's never been afraid to take off and do that, and I think that's why Rex Ryan kind of coveted him as a quarterback. I think he thought that he could grow as a passer, but he already was in love with the fact that he was an athlete through and through. So if you put him in a position where he had to just go run off and make a play, he's more than physically capable of doing it. I mean, he stayed poised in the pocket, you know, even when the pass rush started to swarm around him, and he definitely did a good job of feeling pressure and either stepping up in the pocket or using his speed to get away from it. That was my takeaway from watching it in the stands. He, he, it wasn't very often that it seemed like he was about to, like in the Kansas City game when he just didn't step up into the pocket and took that sack. By the end of the game, at no point was I really concerned that that was how the game was going to end because he did such a good job of avoiding it. He didn't make any mistakes, and he led the team to tying the franchise mark for complete games without a turnover. Okay, that's impressive in and of itself because you got to figure how long that record has stood. It's, it's doesn't he? He only has like four or five picks on the season. He doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. A lot of that is a byproduct of him being somewhat gun shy and not taking as many risks as some of the other quarterbacks out there. I mean, Ben Ben Roethlisberger. No one criticizes that man for throwing picks. But it's because he's a gunslinger. He knows he's got a cannon for an arm. And if he sees Antonio Brown in triple coverage, he's still going to throw it up there every now and again just because he thinks he can get it. You're not going to see that kind of play from Tyrod. Tyrod is going to be the epitome of an athletic game manager in the sense that he can still put up points. You know, that's not a negative thing. It's just that he's not going to take a whole lot of crazy chances to jeopardize the safety of the ball. Now, Chris, last week you proclaimed that you didn't think the Buffalo Bills were going to win this game, and you pointed it pointed at J.J. Watt and said it was going to be all about him. I thought J.J. Watt was going to have a touchdown in the game, and you actually said he'll have two sacks. I called two sacks. And he had none. He had none. In fact, he had two tackles, no sacks, and no quarterback hits. That right there is what won us the football game. We were constantly having two to three guys on our line putting their body on J.J. Watt. Going back and watching the replay on both of the long bombs to Sammy Watkins, he was able to stand in the pocket, plant his feet, and drive that football because they were everywhere he went, he was getting tripled by a tight end, a guard, and a tackle. He couldn't get anywhere near Tyrod Taylor. They weren't going to... The offensive line came into this game committing to the fact that they were not going to... If someone was going to get there, it wasn't going to be J.J. Watt. 
because they were going to make sure of it. And that was where the game was won, in my opinion. And that probably would fall on a great coaching scheme from uh, Aaron Cromer. Oh, absolutely. Think about <laughs> there yeah. it is. The first think about this. <laughs> Eight minutes in, think about this. On Gillesley, he cracked off that early 30-yard run. They lined up in the shotgun and immediately checked to an outside run. They had the formation set up. It looked like it was going to be a slant over the middle. And then they check to a run because they see how far outside, you know, they, they look over. They see how, how far outside once, you know, the safeties are playing the boundaries, expecting a pass. And you've got J.J. Watt and Kalani lined up over the center. Tyrod wasn't going to do anything. He wasn't going to sit there and worry about whether they could handle that pass or she just checked into a run and it turned into a 30-yard gain. And then later on in the game, they ran straight at him with LaShawn McCoy on a design cutback where he cuts it back 20 yards and turns the, you know, ends up going off left tackle and getting a sizable gain on the play. They knew that he couldn't break down and make that tackle fast enough for LaShawn McCoy to get away from him. I do believe we are number one or in the top five for uh, big run plays or run plays that are 10 or 20 yards a pop. I I believe we are number one in that category, if not in the top five. Well, we have one of the more explosive running backs in football. I mean, without Le'Veon Bell being here, Le'Veon Bell's out for the season without Jamal Charles. There's a lot of room for guys like McCoy and, even some of these lesser backs that we we know of, the thing is there's no tape on those guys. So how they run is kind of a mystery to defenses until they see it. Plus we have a good combination of thunder and lightning mm-hmm. with the speed and agility that you get from LaShawn McCoy and then the power that you get from Carlos Williams. Absolutely. Absolutely. I usually, I usually beat up on this coaching staff week in and week out, but I'm going to take it easy on Roman this week because he and Aaron Cromer did a hell of a job, and they did a lot better with this Texans defense than I thought they would. Weren't you the one who just told – didn't you just tell me they, they have how many first-round draft picks on the – Eight first-round draft picks on the Houston defense. So for us to hold them to one sack in the game – I think that's a testament to just how good they did it, you know, how good they did at game planning for this. You got three of them on the line. Mm-hmm. Jadavion Clowney, J.J. Watt, and I believe Vince Wilfork was a number one, a first round pick. Our defense this week was just good enough. Yeah. We're not perfect on defense, but it worked enough to get us the W. I mean, if you consider all the injuries, things definitely got things definitely got dicey down the stretch there. According to Pro Football Focus, three of Houston's offensive linemen posted negative grades for run blocking in this game. And yet somehow, Chris Polk still gained 61 yards after contact. That's a lot of poor tackling. I don't know how many times you see guys launch themselves into a running back rather than try to just wrap tackle. And that's what ended up injuring... Uh, Stephon Gilmore, when he got hurt on that play, rather than try to wrap tackle and take the guy to the ground, he launched himself into him and popped his shoulder out. I mean, these are all things that are coachable, but you actually have to put the time in you know, and make sure that you coach it out of them. And I also think a lot of Chris Polk's success on the ground because they put up, they put up 124 yards rushing on us. But I think a lot of that was the, their own game plan. They, they ran the majority of their yards came on, you know, the left side of our defense, the right side of theirs, going straight at an injured Mario Williams and a rookie linebacker. Now, there's going to be room to make plays on the ground if that's your competition on that side. And I think they did, Houston did a great job of picking on that aspect of our defense. But we limited their big plays, and the offense made enough when it counted, and we pulled it off when really that game could have gone either way. You can't say enough about our secondary at least in the first half, in bottling up DeAndre Hopkins, who had, I think, one catch, six yards in the first half. They came out and they made a point of, we're going to get bodies on him at all times. We're going to play ball. He, he also had a, a sick-ass two-handed push-off on Darby <laughs> in the end zone. That, that drive, I, I harp on the officials, so I promised myself that I wasn't going to do it this week. But... In reality, the officials missed two blatant offensive pass interference calls in that drive. It's, it's driving me crazy just watching that stuff. The bullshit 
chant was in full effect after Hopkins came down with that. After Hopkins came down with that touchdown pass, the crowd that that's the that was one of the loudest. That's one of the times the crowd was the loudest was after that touchdown. It was it's disappointing, but we did a, before that we did a really good job of limiting how much Hopkins was able to hurt us, and I think that's what ultimately led to us containing their offense enough for us to get the edge. Yeah, that's all you have to do when you're playing the Houston Texans is shut down DeAndre Hopkins. He's all that they have. Mm-hmm. Speaking of sweet game plans, how about this? Remember last week when I dropped that stat on you guys about how poor the Texans were at short yardage coverage and their losses? Well, in a game where the Bills only threw the ball 21 times and only completed 11 of them, Tyrod went 8 of 14 for 65 yards and two touchdowns on short passes. They knew it. I knew it. Hopefully you guys listening out there knew it because I told it to you. His other three completions were deep balls that managed to scare their safeties off from crowding the box. Those two passes to Sammy scared the hell out of them early. So they weren't willing to let Sammy get over the top, and it opened up the short passing game almost to a T. Yeah, they were uh, taking shots early at uh, Houston's uh, first-round draft pick, Kevin Johnson. He's been playing well, and I'm surprised that we had as much success against him as we did. Yeah, and he even got benched. But Sammy Watkins is a special talent. Give the guy the ball. Give the guy the ball. That's why you you heard in our open where he said, you know, just throw the ball as far as you can. It's a 50-50 chance. I don't know why they don't do that more often with Sammy Watkins. All I know is I'm pumped that I saw something and our coaching staff saw the same thing. Makes me feel a little bit better that I can't outcoach someone who gets paid millions of dollars to do it for a living. That's my only takeaway from it. And that brings us to our hero and our zero of the week. Now, there's a lot of candidates that I felt that the hero of the week award could have gone to. You know, Tyrod with his with four touchdowns, including the go-ahead game winner. They're late. I would have maybe have given it to the entire offensive line. The offensive line, Jordan Mills. Those get Jordan Mills coming off the street and getting in our lineup and holding his own against JJ Watt was impressive. Not to mention you had help from Mulligan and Incognito and Urbic and always having two or three guys on JJ Watt. Most of the media this week is going to talk about Tyrod, but I feel like the hero, my hero of the week award. Goes to Bakari Rambo. So that is why I am better than everyone in the world. Kiss my and suck my everyone. I just love what the guys bring into the field. According to Pro Football Focus, he was one of the highest rated defensive players on the field for us. And you, you sit in the stands and you watch the guy play and it just doesn't seem like he's out of place that often. You know, you see sometimes players make mental errors, they make mistakes. He's been making fewer and fewer of them the more playing time he gets. Okay, He's got, he had solid coverage and even a sack, even a really timely sack that helped, helped stall out one of their drives. Since only playing 30% of the snaps in the Jets game, the coaching staff has finally gotten more comfortable with him, and they've increased it week over week. And this week, he was one of only three players to see 100% of the defensive snaps taken. That's impressive for a guy who... It's when training camp started, when everyone looked at our depth chart, he was kind of an afterthought. It's nice to see that with Aaron Williams going down and the fact that he might actually be done for the year, a guy like Bakari Rambo can step up from relative anonymity, anonymity and just push through this and come out and be huge for us. Yeah, his career took off last season by intercepting Aaron Rodgers twice. No one knew who he was. I knew who he was because I watched him at Georgia, and I was shocked, dumbfounded that he fell to the sixth round. Now watching him play, he's he's playing like the player I thought he would be when he was in college. And then we get to our zero of the week. You guys can tell me that it's mean. You can you can tell me that I'm wrong. I mean, I almost gave this to the officials for missing those two blatant offensive pass interference calls. But this week, I got to give it to our boy, Dan Carpenter. Boo this man! (laughs) Sir Shanks-a-Lot strikes again! I I mean, I get it. He's a kicker. And we still won, and kickers miss sometimes. Blah, blah, blah. There's a few more... There are a few things more deflating than watching your team score a go-ahead touchdown. Right? 
You just, your guy was wide open. It was an awesome throw. He put it on the money. Touchdown. You just took the lead in the game. The Ralph is rocking. Everyone's screaming. We're high-fiving each other. You're all excited. And then your kicker goes out there and just shanks the point after and leaves the door wide open for your team to blow their lead. That extra point kick, I wish that I had fully read your your show notes here for Dan Carpenter because I totally would have gone to the internet and gotten the drop from Ace Ventura. The laces were in on that extra point. Colton Schmidt didn't even bother to turn the football, and after Carpenter kicked it, he looked he looked at Schmidt like, "What are you doing? Turn the ball." I don't know. All I know is that watching that miss the uprights sucked a lot of the enjoyment right out of it, and then we all just went back to being nervous. I think Trending Buffalo sent out a tweet that I retweeted about, "Here comes the untimely turnover right before that," and I couldn't help it. I'm like, "This is this is the Bills." We're billsing again. Uh, and you know what? Danny, you didn't deserve that hair anyway, and I'm glad it's gone. Yeah, he's got the fresh new uh, shortcut. Now, he cut his long hair this week, if you haven't noticed. There was breaking news on Twitter by, by the Buffalo Bills. So at the end of it all, we pulled off the win. I'll, I'll kind of sh- Rex Ryan came out this week and voiced his support for Danny, so I guess I'll shelve some of my hate for now. But it's there, Dan. You know it. Now do something about it. And that brings us to our breakdown of the AFC playoff race. It's crazy to think about it, but the season's almost over. And yet somehow this logjam around the wildcard spots hasn't broken up at all. In fact, if anything, it just gets more complicated between tiebreakers. And there's still a firm group of teams between first, between fifth and sixth place, and you know seventh and eighth place. They're all only separated by one win, and then some random tiebreakers. Yeah, and then now the Patriots dropped out of that top spot. Oh, I know. Yeah, there's been some change to the top dogs this week. Why don't we go ahead and touch on those? Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. Starts off with the Bengals. The Bengals cruised to a victory this week, and now they can clinch their division at home against the Steelers. This game is actually really big for Buffalo's playoff chances, and this week we all got to be—we all have to be Cincy fans, okay? So j- join in with me now. Take a deep breath. Let's get used to it now. Who day? Who day? You only have to say it once or twice. That's all I'm going to ask from you. Just, just root for the Bengals with me this weekend. Who do they have this week? The Bengals? They play the Steelers. Oh, yeah. They, we need, the, they play the Steelers at home. They can clinch the division. We need the Bengals in this one. We need some losses from Kansas City and Pittsburgh. I'll drink to that. Then you've got the Broncos. Another week, another win. You know, they're not nearly as flashy as they were when Peyton was under center and healthy, but they're still finding ways to come up with W's, and that's ultimately what matters. They play Oakland this week at home, and they should be able to push them farther away from us in the wild card race. I think I trust this team to beat Oakland. And then you've got the Patriots. What a game for Bill Belichick this week. What? <laughs> what an idiot. Oh, what a loser. That was my reaction, folks, when I looked at my phone driving driving home from the Bills game and realized what was happening in Foxborough. The Patriots lost while only allowing two offensive scores the whole game. <laughs> Philadelphia got real lucky in that game with the block punt return for a touchdown, punt return for a touchdown, and a 100-yard interception return for a touchdown. All I know is none of it could have happened to a better bunch of guys. Good for them. The good news is that that loss basically ensures that they have to stay hungry enough to keep playing. You know, they have to stay hungry because they still want one of those buys, and they're not that far away from it that they can't reach it. So now when they play teams like the Jets and Houston, who are still kind of in our way and on our radar, they're going to hopefully bring their A game and put some distance, but, you know, put some distance between us and them for us. That's not looking good for us if we're wanting to grab the last playoff spot, 3-6. That means 
Patriots mm-hmm. is our uh, playoff destiny as of right now. Good. Good. I'd love it. You know what? You want to be the best, you got to beat the best. If we make the playoffs, I will gladly, I will, I will embrace the challenge of playing again in Foxborough because I think we should have had them the last time. And then we drop down into this area where we're just stuck in the middle of the back again. Dogs, I want you to go home. Get off my bumper! It all starts with the Chiefs. They've got a depth, a, what seems to be a death grip on that first wild card spot. And yet they're only one win ahead of Buffalo. And I guess you could call it a game and a half. Unfortunately, with that tiebreaker, they're going to have to lose more than one game for us to pass them. But they've got a cream puff schedule. I mean, they play Baltimore, San Diego, and Cleveland. They could cruise into the postseason right now as long as they show up every week and take care of their business. That loss to the Chiefs couldn't feel any bigger than it does right now today sitting here talking to you guys. Right behind them is the Jets somehow holding a final wild card spot as of today with seven wins. I am not at all worried about the New York Jets. J-Dub, Jeremy White, WGR, had said that, uh, I believe, on Monday morning. You don't really need to worry about the Jets. They have a game against New England coming up. We already have one win against them, and we play them the last week of the season, in which I believe we can beat them, and it'll be here. The only good news for us is that the quarterback is Ryan Fitzpatrick. Let that sink in. The guy will eventually come back down to earth. I mean, he's got better receivers than he ever had here in Buffalo, but he's still not a world beater. He's not a guy who by himself can beat you. So we just have to hope. We have to hope the teams they play, New England and Dallas. Both of those teams are fighting for playoff aspirations of their own. Dallas is only fighting for their division because that division (laughs) sucks. Yeah, well, that's like the AFC South, man. Somebody's got to win it. And we all need to root for Tennessee to pull off a road upset this week. They did it against the Saints. We got to hope that they can do it this week against the Jets. Considering Revis is still out, there's no word on when he might come back. Yeah, look for Mariota to uh, take advantage of something there. I'm sure uh, our old buddy Mike Malarkey will find something in the Jets' D to, to rip on. Hopefully, for my fantasy purposes, hopefully it's just nothing. Hopefully it becomes the Delaney Walker show. It's the only thing I can hope for. Following up the Jets, just outside of the wildcard picture, you've got the Steelers. They stopped a mud hole in Indianapolis on Sunday Night Football. It wasn't even fair. A couple early turnovers kept the game close, and then Roethlisberger found Antonio Brown. He realized 84 actually showed up that day and started throwing the football. It was embarrassing. They worked worked Indianapolis's secondary, which is not good. Even the, I mean, Vontae Davis is usually pretty solid. and they, They're just getting beaten. They're getting beaten in every, every phase of the game they were beaten on Sunday. It's, it's an embarrassing loss, and now they have to go play Cincy, and the division is on the line. If they lose, they have no shot, even if they run the table the rest of the way from, of winning a division title. Well, their division chances were on life support to begin with. Cincinnati's been playing so well, and you never know if is going to make it through in an entire game. I mean, I like Pittsburgh, and I need Antonio Brown to carry my fantasy football team to the promised land. But for our own sakes, as Bills fans, they need to drop this one if we're really going to have a shot at passing them. They're followed up by the Colts. Now, I put the Colts here. Instead of with the rest of the division winners, because the Colts are a sham. As are the Houston Texans. Not, neither one of those teams really deserves to win their division I mean, or be a home playoff team, in my opinion. Our week one win against the Colts does not look so hot right now. Mm. But when you think about it, it does us a huge favor if they do drop down into the wildcard discussion. Yep, then we got that tiebreaker. We have that tiebreaker already built into our schedule now. They got thrashed by Pittsburgh on Sunday, and they've announced that Hasselbeck, even though he practiced, he's not a lock to play. It looks like he may. On a side note, two quarterbacks go down with injuries, either in the middle of games, late in games, in one season, and Ryan Grigson still has a job for putting together that crap offensive line. 
You draft a generational talent like Andrew Luck, and you don't give him an offensive line to do anything. He's not Peyton Manning. He can't make these guys look better than they already are. No, hopefully Gregson will be fired at the end of the season. Uh, he's is by far the absolute worst general manager in the National Football League. I'm telling you, he lucked. He lucked into the luck pick, and then your mother could have made that selection. Yeah, he he picked Andrew Luck, and then. Made the playoffs off of Andrew Luck. Everything he's done since then has been crap. I don't know. They have games against Jacksonville, Houston, and Miami, and they're far from locks given the way their defense has been playing. I mean, God only knows where they'll fall. Andrew Luck needs to get healthy ASAP if that team's going to make any kind of a postseason push. And then there's the Bills. Sitting in eighth place, and we're going to need a lot of help if we're going to see the postseason. Considering how underwhelming the NFC East is as a whole, as you just touched on, the fact that their whole division is a joke, we should, be, we should, in a perfect world, be able to keep pace with the teams above us. But that's going to require execution, which, as I've said a hundred times, seems to be the one thing that we consistently lack. How pissed will you be if our playoff dreams are crushed in Week 16 against Matt Castle? I hate you. I hate it's you. It's something to think Don't about. Don't even talk about it. Don't even talk. It's not something I'm willing to entertain because <laughs> if it happens, yeah. we're the not place li- that I go to is going to be so dark, you're not going to be able to find me. Yeah, we're not there yet. We still have to get by uh, two of the other AFC. I'm going to be like a- NFC. Frank living in my closet. Okay? <laughs> That's what's going to happen. We, sh- we still have two other NFC, NFC least teams to uh, to play with Philly this week and then Washington the following week. Then we're going to touch on the basement of the NFL. Always remember, if you ain't first, you're last. Now, when we talk about the basement of the division, I mean, there's a number of teams that we could touch on, but I don't really care about all that. This week I want to touch on the Cleveland Browns. They are, in fact, the basement of the NFL as a whole. They're on on pace to obtain the number one overall draft pick. I think that we can all agree that they have arguably had some of the worst luck in the NFL. How's that trade working out for them? Not only with us for giving us that selection so we could take Sammy Watkins, but how about years before where they traded back with Atlanta so Atlanta could take Julio Jones and they just wasted their late, late round, uh, first round pick? They also wasted the first one because they traded that player away to. They traded the. Trent Richardson. Trent Richardson and Brandon Whedon, neither of whom are on their roster. They got a first-round pick back for him, which they then wasted. It's, it's unbelievable. I've never seen a team burn so many picks before. And yet, they're still here, and their fans still show up to every game, and God bless them. Because Even uh, last, their last... Uh... Oh, the Monday Night Football game where they yeah. got blocked. They lost the game on a blocked field goal. Like they, that, that loss spawned a whole conversation on NFL Live on ESPN about the worst plays in Browns history. And after watching it, it was painful. I actually gained a new level of respect for Browns fans after seeing some of the ways that they've lost football games. I thought the Bills had it rough. These guys have been raked over the coals. That is why they are the mistake on the lake. <laughs> the factory of sadness. Yep. How about this? Last year, first, I don't even who is Danny Shelton? First round pick. Danny Shelton's actually a really good lineman. Cameron Irving? Cam Irving, meh, he's mediocre. Well, oh, I, I, you know, I don't pay attention to the Cleveland Browns all that much. But three of the last four years, they have had two first-round picks. 2015, Danny Shelton, Cameron Irving. 2014, Justin Gilbert and Johnny Football. 13, they had one. They picked Barcavius Mingo. And then 2012, Trent Richardson and Brandon Whedon. All of whom borderline suck. Phil Taylor in in eleven, Joe Hayden. Phil Taylor actually. Danny Shelton played so well that Phil Taylor asked for his release because he wasn't going to get playing time, and then no one signed him because of a knee injury. They haven't had excellent first round picks since Joe Hayden in twenty ten. And I think it all coincides with that team being purchased by Haslam. 
the team is a mess, which brings me to my next point. Rumors are starting that Mike Pettin might be relieved of his duties as a head coach sometime soon. What would you Bills fans think about us dumping Dennis Thurmond and signing Mike Pettin as our defensive coordinator? I would sign up for that right now. I mean, considering what's going on this season, I'm, I'm interested to see if Rex would be willing to make that change. I wonder if anyone's even brought it up to him. You know, I've called for it multiple times this season that we need to make a change at the defensive coordinator spot because I just don't think Dennis Thurman gets the makeup of this roster. Whereas a lot of the players that Mike Pettin coached are still here. It's still the same guys. I think it is, I just think it's an interesting situation to monitor for as long as our defense continues underachieving the way they have. Chris, are you excited? I'm always excited. You excited for this? This brings us to our game preview of the Eagles away. Back to the link for Shady McCoy. How the f*** do you trade LaShawn McCoy to the Buffalo f- Bills for Kiko Alonso? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't that mother injured last season? That's our buddy EDP. 445. <laughs> Find him on YouTube. He was all over. Uh, he was, that clip was played for Shady on Ridiculousness. On MTV. The fact is, is that Eagles fans haven't exactly been thrilled with their team, the decisions the coach has made, and basically the way they've been trending ever since their new head coach took over and assumed the de facto GM role. And now the Bills start their final road trip of the season in Philly at the link against the Eagles. Now, Shady's clearly excited, and he just can't wait to see Chip Kelly again. Listen, man, Chip can't shake at all, nothing. He knows this. That's why I said it. I know him. He's very intelligent. So I, 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 I can read between lines. But like I said, I have nothing against him. <laughs> it was a quote from Shady's interview at BuffaloBills.com. Shady, you can tell me you don't have anything against him, but you can't tell me that he can't say to you in the same sentence. You can't. It's, it's an oxymoron. There's clearly no love lost between he and his old coach. GM Doug Whaley even went so far as to tell WGR this week that if you have McCoy on your fantasy team, this would be a great week to start him. I got him on my team, but I'm out of the playoffs. (laughs) I'm not shocked because you go to birthday parties instead of watching football games. Or sometimes you watch hockey instead of Thursday night football. Correct. You know where I watched hockey last night? Last night I was going to bed. I just finished watching New Jersey and Toronto, and I put on Dallas and Carolina, and that's the second team I like to watch. I know a lot of people would be like, well, what do you mean you like to watch Dallas, you know, 99 Stanley Cup finals? There's some hatred for Dallas. I like the Dallas Stars uh, color analyst, Daryl Ray. Fantastic. By far the best analyst in the NHL. I turn the game on. It's the end of the second period, 5-1 to one, Dallas. And I start watching the third, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm just going to be able to fall asleep to this game. Carolina's tied the game five in the third period, 5-5. Five, five, and then Dallas scored 19 seconds left on the power play to win 6-5. to five. I ended up staying up for the whole, the whole rest of the game. And I didn't get to bed until like 11.30 midnight. I'm sorry, I missed almost everything you said after Carolina, New Jersey, and Dallas because I was just picturing all three of them just being swallowed up in a giant sinkhole. You can't tell me that the Dallas Stars are fun to watch with Jamie Benn, John Klingberg, Tyler Sagan, Jason Spezza. I'll see you in hell, Chris. Valerie (laughs) Nishushkin. You will never get me. Lindy's their coach. You will never. Lindy! You over my dead body. Will you ever get me to admit that I enjoy anything that comes out of Dallas? I'll see you in hell. So back on track here, folks. Who are the, who are the Philadelphia Eagles this season? Well, they're 5-7, and seven, and they're actually in a tie for their division lead, which tells you how sad that division has been. I want that division to be won with a 6-10 and 10 record. <laughs> they get a home playoff game for it. The Eagles have gone 2-3 and three in their last five games, and during their most recent three-game skid, they gave up an average of 463 yards and 36.5 points per game. Now, th- that 
that's not exactly intimidating. Okay. They got the drop on the Patriots because the Patriots clearly overlooked them based on the recent struggles. And they let the defense and special teams, you know, those units can still play. They've always been good. Anyone who plays fantasy football will tell you that on any given week, the Eagles defense, because of kick returns and block punts, can go off for 30-something points against you. That's why we got to have Colton Schmidt be punting to the sideline so Darren Sproles is taken out of the game. Well, and that leads right into my next segment, which is some things to watch for in our upcoming game. First off, Philly's got a niche for defensive and special teams touchdowns. Okay, the common theme in their last two victories is that they won by single scores and that their defense and special teams units supplied at least one, if not more, of their touchdowns. Matt Castle, you know, obviously the three touchdowns that we talked about earlier in Foxborough, and then Matt Castle opened that game with a pick six against the Eagles when, he, when they played the Cowboys in Dallas. New England overlooked that part of Philly's game and got sloppy, and you saw what it cost them. Okay? Their offense only scored two touchdowns, but it wasn't enough for them to come back. The Cowboys just couldn't score enough to overcome the fact that Matt Castle's not a good quarterback. He just couldn't make the plays happen, and their defense couldn't hold the Eagles off the board after that early touchdown. The good thing for us is that whether it's by design or just his talent, Tyrod doesn't throw many picks, and our running backs don't fumble as often as people, even myself, might accuse them of. We're going to need a lot better play out of our special team units, as we've seen over the last couple weeks. I think that that's a soft part of our game that this week is going to have to be on lockdown. But I think that if we can keep that part of their team off the stat sheet, we have a solid chance of walking out of here with a win. They've got a surprisingly strong run defense. I know it sounds stupid when you hear it because people talk about the stats that you know Doug Martin put up against him or some other running back had a great fantasy day against this team. When you consider all the gaudy scores that people put up on Philly, they still they only allow 4.3 yards per carry, which is right on par with the Buffalo Bills. And yet they've only given up five rushing scores to our eight. Defensive end Fletcher Cox out of Mississippi State. He's not a household name, but he should be. I mean, the guy's a 3-4 defensive end. And he plays a position where typically those players are more of a gap filler. You know, they let the play. They're supposed to clog up blockers so that the linebackers can flow around them and make tackles and make plays. Instead, he's a penetrator. He's strong in the run game. He's strong against He gets pass rush. You know, he's one of the few members of the Philadelphia Eagles teams who consistently posts positive ratings on pro football focus. He can do everything. You know, and yes, he's their defensive front. You know, it's not as versatile as Houston's is. They don't have a Clowney. They don't have a you know Whitney Merciless to go along with Fletcher Cox. But they've got some good pieces. Now I know Benny Logan's dinged up, and he might not play as their nose tackle. Which is, if he can't go, they're going to have to rotate bodies in there and just hope they can hold us. But at the same time, Fletcher Cox is a guy you you got to watch in this game. And hopefully, our offensive coordinators plan from the same way they planned for JJ Watt. The good news is this pass defense might be one of the worst that we've played all season. I mean, these guys are borderline historic bad. That's, I don't know how people in Philly still have, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of coffee tables have been broken in the city of Philadelphia. That's, that's just, I'm just going to go out there and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hypothesize. They're another team that's kind of undermanned in the secondary. They've had some injuries. They've had their miscues. The coaching doesn't seem to be on par with the talent, and they don't tackle particularly well. The only thing that keeps them from getting more press on this, though, is the fact that the NFC's worst passing defense is viciously defended by the Saints every single week. They fired Rob Ryan, and their pass defense got worse without him there. They've actually let up more points and more yardage since they fired him than before they did. They've held teams out of the end zone on the ground, but it's a free-for-all in the air. They've allowed 28 touchdowns to quarterbacks. That's the third most in the NFL. Now, you you look at the stats, it's a lot like it was in the Houston game. The blueprint looks exactly the same. Over their last five games, they've allowed an average of 21 completions on short passes for 211 yards and three touchdowns per game. Even in their win over New England, they let Tom Brady carve them up for 255 yards and three touchdowns on what are all considered short passes. 
They don't tackle. There's no tackling on this defense. They allow a ton of yak. Yards after the catch, for all of you laymen out there. They've also allowed the third most passing first downs in the league. So considering the covered skills of their linebacker core, I expect the Buffalo Bills to come out in a lot of three and four wide sets. A lot of shotgun. Let's spread them out. Let's get them thin. We know they don't tackle particularly well. Let's get our one-on-one matchups, and let's just chew our way down the field with short passes. That's what I expect to see. I mean, a lot of shallow crosses and hook routes. We can, we could potentially just blow this game open you know, with their secondary sub-car, subpar coverage skills and Sammy's ability to get yards after the catch. This season, we haven't seen a whole lot of it, and this is a game where I think we need Sammy Watkins to come through big for us. His Clemson wide receiver screens, please. We need something because that's none of our other receivers, without Percy Harvin here, none of our other receivers have that breakaway speed. But the one thing that's been proven consistently is that in the short to intermediate areas of the field, the Eagles can't cover. And when they don't, and then the worst part is when they don't cover, they don't tackle well. They let guys rack up yards after the catch on them. So I think that's the key to beating this team. Okay. I think that they'll also take just enough shots deep with Sammy, you know, because they're really starting to find a rhythm on these deep passes. Tyrod Ty throws a beautiful deep ball. I think, well, and that was one of the knocks on him early on, was that his deep ball wasn't as great as EJ's, so no one knew that the race was close in preseason. I think Tyrod and Sammy have really kind of found a rhythm here, and I think that's going to be a huge boon to keeping defenses honest against us. It's going to keep the safeties out of the box. And that's going to be big towards us not turning the ball over and staying away from that opportunistic defense of theirs. So what do you think, Chris? Are we going to kick the Eagles' ass this week? I sure as hell am, Chip. Chip! (laughs) I can't help with this. (laughs) Oh, God. What do you you foresee happening this week, Chris? Why don't you hit me with it? A whole bunch of shady McCoy. He's going to... He is going to Bo Jackson over... What was that guy's name? From Oklahoma. Oh, oh, the Boz. Seahawks, the Boz. McCoy over Kiko, just like Jackson over the Boz. What, what, do, you, what do you got for a final score? It's not even going to be close. Okay. We're going back to like a Detroit and Tampa style performance from okay. the Philadelphia Eagles. I think the Bills are going to win 31 to 10. It's a big score. I'm going to be a little bit more conservative. I think that what we're going to do is we're going to play ball control offense. We're give us, give us your Republican score. My Republican score. <laughs> Damn all you hippie liberals near 31 points a game. What, what I think is going to happen in this one, I think we are going to do everything we can to hold the ball. They let up first downs. It's a thing they do. They allow a ton of yards. I think we're going to manage our way down the field. We're not going to, we'll take enough shots to keep them honest, but I think the big thing here is chew clock. Don't give their offense a whole lot of opportunities to hurt you because they're not that great to begin with. And as long as we can keep them from really finding a rhythm and getting into a groove, we should be able to e-clock and score on this defense without, without a problem. I foresee us winning this football game. I'm going to call it 24 to 17. We're going to get a whole bunch of shady. I'm calling shady totals 150 yards because he he is going to get jacked for the game. Chip, I'm all jacked up on Mountain Dew. <laughs> oh, well, hopefully we're right. Just to wrap things up here, you know, we're going to get our first ever rock pile mailbag going. Now, I appreciate everyone who took the time to send in an email, but we're, a little, we're running a little short on time tonight, so I'm just going to grab one of them. And tonight's email comes from Danny S. Okay, I'm just going to read here what he wrote real quick. Dear Rockpile, just finished up your podcast. Great stuff as usual. Glad I found it. couple thoughts on last week and then this week's games. KC, one of our biggest problems is halftime adjustments. Everyone else seems to be able to make them, yet we fail. 
Once again, another week of facing a busted O-line and our million-dollar D doesn't capitalize. Should have blitzed every down. Sure, we got caught a time or two when we did. Odds are in our favor, though. That's all been true so far this season with our D-line and no second-half adjustments. Texans, if we lose, done again for the umpteenth year before 13 games. If they don't play the short game, like you said, to open up the middle slash deep, we are screwed. Can't hold the ball and have Tyrod Taylor get caught, get caught scared, causing a, causing a turnover. Enjoy the game, Danny. Well, Danny, I appreciate you taking the time to write us and give us your opinion. Luckily for both of us, I was right on how they were going to go about attacking the Texans. Yeah, if it had failed, if their blocking hadn't held up, on those deep throws, I'm pretty sure Watt and Clowney would have eaten Tyrod Taylor alive. Thank God for all of us that that didn't happen and we came out of there with the W. And then to your point about the KC game, I completely agree. We failed to adjust on those deep passes early in the game, which we clearly didn't have a plan for. He was one of the most inaccurate quarterbacks on deep throws, and I'm sure that they saw the stats we saw and thought it wasn't something they needed to worry about. Those passes to Macklin, is, I think that is what drove the dagger in on us in that game. It killed us. And to your point about blitzing every down, I think they intended to do a lot more blitzing. But then Bradham went down with that knee injury. And from there, I think they realized that Tarpley and Stewart, who were filling in, just aren't as athletic as Bradham. I never heard of half of these guys. <laughs> in any event, I think that the injury forced them away from their game plan, and it... it Clearly limited their ability to pressure Alex Smith, but I don't think they had much of a choice. I don't think that's a decision the coach has made consciously, like, hey, let's not blitz anymore. I think they took a look at it and said, okay, Tarpley's slow, Stewart's slow. We don't want to risk further exposure by having those guys blitz and then just not get anywhere. So what about the rest of you guys? Huh? Danny, we appreciate the email. Does anybody else have anything they want to say or any questions they want to ask or have the points they want to hear discussed? Who wants to get in the ring with the excellence of execution? <laughs> shoot your, go ahead and shoot your questions to rockpilereport716 at gmail.com or you can tweet us at rockpilereport. This Sunday, 1 o'clock, CBS Buffalo at Philadelphia. Buffalo and Philadelphia markets will get the game. In New York, you probably get it out to Utica, maybe, out that way. But that's the only areas that get the game. And we'll be watching Bills and Eagles Sunday at 1, CBS, with our boss, Spiro Didis. Spiro! Yeah! Spiro on the call. Solomon Wilcots on color. Probably the... Next, you know what? The next week, Washington game is on Fox. Then we have Dallas at home. That'll also be on Fox. So, really, the Jet game is the last potential game we could have Spiro Ditas calling the Bills. <sighs> Spiro, how we love you. Well, we look forward to hearing from all you guys, but for right now, we got to go. So, I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rockpile Report.